Hello, and welcome to the Curious One podcast. My name is Emma Krebs. I created this podcast to be able to have conversations that were lacking through my daily interactions as I always felt the longing to dive deeper. This space is for meaningful conversations that I hope help to broaden my perspectives and maybe even yours as well. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. If you have listened to previous episodes, you would understand that a foundational element of The Curious One is exploring alternative ways of living. I want this space to support individuals who either do not feel content in their current circumstances and are looking for more variation in their lives, or for those of us who want to broaden our own perspective. So with this being said, I uncovered alternative forms of relationships in my newest episode with Lindsay Dixon where we chatted all about polyamory. Polyamory, also known as consensual non-monogamy, can be defined as the practice of having multiple intimate relationships, whether sexual or just romantic, with the full knowledge and consent of all parties involved. According to Psychology Today, at least one in five Americans have had a consensually non-monogamous relationship at some point in their lives, and about one in 20 is in one right now. In this episode, Lindsay and I sat down to chat all about her personal journey with polyamory. Lindsay has been with her partner for over 11 years, and they have been exploring polyamory for six years now. Lindsay and her partner have a son, and her metamor, which is the partner of one's partner with whom one does not share a direct sexual or loving relationship, has been in her life for over six months now. To highlight just a few of the topics we covered would be Lindsay's personal journey into polyamory, the biggest challenges she faced when exploring polyamory, jealousy, how to navigate children in poly, the effect conventional romanticism has on all of us as a society, and Lindsay's personal relationship advice. Lindsay was very honest and open throughout our entire conversation, and she really allowed me to not hold back and ask some of the more controversial questions. I hope you are able to take away something of value from Lindsay's vulnerability. All right, rise with me, my friends, and let's jump into the episode. May you be inspired, may you be curious, and may you learn more about yourself as we learn about others. Enjoy. Welcome, Lindsay, to the Curious One podcast. I am very excited to talk to you today and to begin this conversation for sure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, so before we jump into things, I think a really good place to start would be to just define what the term polyamory means to you personally. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so for myself, polyamory is just like the freedom to love multiple people. I don't think it really has a specific definition or box that it could fit in other than just freedom and multiple people. Amazing. Yeah, I think a lot of, not a lot, I'm going to take that back. (laughs) When I first heard about polyamory, I thought it was the same as polygamy. Is that the Mm -hmm. right word? And that's like a very religious and it's more like marital, correct? So I think it's very important that we we separate the two, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of different versions of poly and different labels. So poly in general is like multiple right? Um, Mm -hmm. And there's like polyfidelity, polygamy, polyandry, like there's so many different versions. Um, Typically poly 
is used to replace like polyamory as just a short form. And it's just used as a overarching statement of freedom to love multiple people. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And we'll, we'll dive further into that. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the reason that I reached out to you is because you actually practice polyamory. So would you be able to give us some background into what your uh, relationship dynamics currently look like? Yeah. Um, so I've been with my partner for about 11 years now. Um, we started dabbling in poly about six, seven years ago, and then committed our entire lifestyle to just permanently being poly about a year ago. Um, he's been with his current partner for over six months now. And then um, she's also in a long-term relationship. They've been together for five years. Her partner's in, I think, three other relationships. They're all in relationships. It kind of just spiderwebs and goes crazy from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, you said something there. You said we committed our lifestyle fully to polyamory. Can you yeah. speak more about that? What do you mean by like committed to it? Um, I think everyone kind of who experiences poly as like a lifelong thing starts by dabbling or like talking about it as a couple and just kind of gets their foot in the water and tries it out. And so we had spent a couple of years kind of back and forth in different relationships where we had kind of tried to explore things and some of them were train wrecks and some of them went really awesome. And eventually what happened was we both took a lot of time to just self-reflect and figure out what we wanted. And my partner actually approached me and was like, I think this is who I am. I don't think I can feel like all of my needs are fully met within the confines of our relationship. And I want to permanently have the freedom to go and look for other relationships. Yeah. So after we had kind of discussed that and figured out what that would look like for us specifically, then we just made it a permanent thing of like, we didn't want to have that flip flop back and forth of like, oh, let's try it. We'll see how it goes. Oh, it didn't go so great. Maybe we'll try later. Maybe not. It was like, no, this is this is us now. This is something we want to tell our family about, something we want to be open about, something we don't want to feel like is a secret. We just chose to make it a part of our identities. Mm hmm. Okay, that's interesting. The reason – I think I'll say this at the beginning of the conversation too. The reason that I want to have this conversation is I'm, I'm innately curious, obviously, <laughs> the name of my podcast. But something that I really respect about the poly community is that you guys are just challenging society's norms on what a relationship should quote-unquote look like and just kind of defining it in your own way in whatever way that – is it manifests right so um i really respect that i also respect the whole um the as you said like multiple love and Mm -hmm. something that i find i found interesting in the research i've been doing about polyamory is why do we feel that love is something that is um oh what is the word i'm looking for like limited Whereas why can't we have an abundance of love for multiple people? And it doesn't have to be all romantic or sexual relationships, but just just kind of this lack mentality that sometimes I feel we have as a, as a society in regards to relationships. So, Absolutely. I think there's yeah. like this falsity that like we're just taught. I don't know if it's like growing up and reading books or watching TV or what, but I feel like there's this falsity that we're raised in a society that teaches you that you are supposed to feel fully fulfilled by one person. And like um, one thing I believe in, it's not 
guaranteed, but it's something a lot of people who are poly believe is that being poly is on a spectrum, kind of like being straight or um, being gender fluid or anything like that. Like your concept of yourself can be on a spectrum. And so some people just don't feel like they are monogamous and some people feel like they personally identify as someone who's poly and other people feel like they're fluid and have a choice of what they can feel comfortable doing and other people just feel like they're monogamous but I think society tries to raise us to believe that we're supposed to be monogamous and that monogamy is supposed to fulfill all of our needs within that relationship Mm. and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of poly people just don't feel fully fulfilled within their like a singular relationship yeah I just really respect the people that are are doing this because I can imagine it can be a bit difficult with the pressure from society and just people just not quote-unquote like getting it but at the same time is like I think it should be talked about more because I'm sure there is lots of individuals that as you said struggle to be in your classic heterosexual cis um, monogamous relationship so it's just I want to show people that there's different ways of living your life. Rather totally. It's oh, yeah. And it's, relationships. it's absolutely crazy how many people experience different forms of like ethical non-monogamy, um, which to me would feel like poly, but to some people wouldn't. But it's just crazy how many couples experience different versions of ethical non-monogamy um, and feel like it's something to be ashamed of. Like I have um, a, a friend that I came out to as being like poly. And she was like, oh, I don't know anyone else like that. And I was like, oh, actually, I know four other people that you know that are different versions of ethically non-monogamous, but you don't Can know we... that because they're ashamed to tell you. What What do you mean by ethical non-monogamous? Yeah, so... Um, Sorry, I don't know what that is. <laughs> no, that's a great question. Um, so ethical non-monogamy is any version of a relationship that isn't fidelis or monogamous. So... Um, different things that would fall under ethical non-monogamy would be like swingers or people who have like a friends with benefits on the side. It's any version of telling your partner that you're committed to that you're seeing a secondary or other people. Um, Whereas polyamory is typically more of a permanency and it's typically something where you're looking for something more longer term. Um, Okay. Yeah, so ethical non-monogamy, the way that I've seen it is a lot of people will start off being swingers, so that's them practicing something where they're still married, still exclusively committed to themselves, but they look to have certain sexual needs met outside of their marriage. Um, So being a swinger wouldn't qualify as being poly, because someone who's poly would typically be dating or having a longer-term relationship. Okay, okay, interesting. So I know you touched on it uh, a bit at the beginning when you were speaking about your current relationship dynamic, mm-hmm. but can we dive a bit a bit deeper into what your transition into polyamory looked like? Yeah, so truthfully, uh, it started off a little bit of a dumpster fire. Um, when <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> it's just true. Um, so about six years ago, um, I think it was something my partner felt that they were being supportive with me on. Um, I was super closeted about being uh, someone who's bisexual because I was raised in a very Catholic family where I was very aware if I wasn't straight, then I wasn't loved. Um, And it was something that was really hard for me. And so 
a couple years into my relationship with my partner, they um, met someone while they were working out of town and they were like, hey, I feel like you and this person would really hit it off. Me and this person really hit it off. What do you think about like potentially looking at like having a relationship with them, even just like something very temporary and very casual? They had already expressed that that was something they had experience with something that they were comfortable with and it essentially was them approaching me going like hey is this something you want to try and at the time I was like in my very 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 early 20s and super unexperienced and had only been in really two relationships in my entire life and I was like sure let's try dating a girl for the first time um and so it was kind of my first look at things and it's it was really short-lived and it was just something where I was like oh I didn't realize I'd have to share I like the part with me doing things on my own but the sharing part not so keen on um and so I think the first probably five years of us exploring different versions of ethical non-monogamy was me being like oh there's so much about this that I like for myself but I'm really just not ready to give up so much of my partner um and it was super really casual. I think in the course of five, six years, we had like three or four weekends of experience with adding other people into our relationships. It wasn't anything long term. It wasn't what I would consider poly or polyamory to be because it was just very in and out, back and forth. Um, but from going through that, every time we would experience one of those relationships, we would have like conversations about it so much. We had lots of in-depth discovery about ourselves, about what we wanted. It was just tons of communication. We would probably talk about a single weekend of all the different things we learned or different experiences we enjoyed or disliked for like months until we eventually would feel comfortable enough to start looking again. It's a different, better version. And it wasn't until our last dumpster fire level relationship that we really learned what we wanted. Um, and so essentially what that had looked like was my partner approached me and we hadn't been in a relationship for a couple of years at that point. Um, and he was like, Hey, I met someone, they approached me about wanting to date both you and I, and I really like them. I think they're this great person and I'd really like for you to make an effort to go and meet them. And it was the first time where my partner made it non-negotiable for me, where as before it was something very casual. And it was the first time where he was like, I see this as who I am and what I want my life to look like long-term. And I need you to learn to be okay with that. And because of what he said, I was both trying to process the permanency of our life shifting into a permanent poly life while trying to facilitate a relationship with this new person but because of combining the two it just went really horribly wrong because I didn't prioritize myself and I just had a lot of issues with communicating and boundaries and so while trying to support whatever he wanted I just let myself not be a priority to this person and it just went horribly wrong and they treated me really badly and the whole relationship just went badly but I think the better approach would have been if he had decided that that's what he wanted for his life. And then we could have taken some time to figure it out just as the two of us and then both start approaching different relationships, but combining it all at once just went horribly wrong. A big learning curve. I could imagine. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's, it's interesting because Polly is so different to everyone. So we didn't know what the person we were looking at developing a triad with really wanted and we didn't really know what we wanted and we had no idea that all three of us wanted different things and couldn't merge all of them together so yeah 
definitely learned a lot. And it was honestly, it was a difficult transition and a really, really hard couple months. But at the same time, it's something I'm incredibly proud of because we we behaved with so much like kindness and heart and we both just did our best and we really learned so much about like how to communicate, what healthy boundaries look like, what's a healthy relationship look like, how to learn to give up control, how to feel like we were prioritizing our already established relationship as well as prioritizing a new relationship. And it was it was a big learning curve and that relationship went horribly wrong, but the lessons we learned from it really propelled us forward at such a rapid pace that we were able to really like start enjoying poly for ourselves long term. And then how did you guys transition into where you are now? Yeah, I think that was our last attempt at having a triad. And that was what really woke us up to this like awareness of what I wanted, what he wanted were so different that we were able to just be like, you know what, I think it's time we really just commit to dating separately and dating whoever we want and giving up control of who our partner's with. Um, and that's that's really, in my opinion, what the biggest step is of transitioning to poly. And one of the healthiest things people can do is learning to give up that like veto power of your partner. Um, there's mm-hmm. definitely people who don't do that. But I think that's what what our defining moment was, was to start giving that control up. And then once that happened, I started dating pretty much right away because I just wasn't didn't feel like I had a lot of work to do to recover from the previous relationship. Um, I was just less engaged with it than he was. So I started dating right away and he took several months of just not dating and really working on exploring his boundaries and what he wanted and really just getting a concrete idea of what his future self wanted for himself right now. Um, And so he kind of established a lot of just different notions that he wanted for himself and then would approach me and be like, these are the things that I'm thinking about starting to look for. And it was really great because he he was just able to self-reflect and figure out what he wanted, whereas I tend to learn by trial by fire. So I had to kind of go through the starting and dating and, and just reaching out on my own to really figure out what I wanted. And so a couple months after that, um, I was dating kind of really casually. And then he reached out to me again, working out of town. And he's like, hey, I just got this. Uh, weird connection that I just met with this couple and I really want to pursue it and like I don't know why but I just feel like this is the road I'm supposed to go down and so I was like yeah absolutely no worries like you do you whatever you want totally got your back and it was pretty much just clicked right away he met his current partner Um, they've been together for yeah over six months and it was just instantaneous that you just knew that he had put so much work into figuring out what he wanted that when he met this other person, it was just very obvious that she was the right fit. I want to go back a bit because you said earlier you you tried to do a triad. Do you mm-hmm. want to explain what that is for some people that might not know? I, I don't really know. So were you both trying to date the same person initially? Yeah. So there's, there's okay. different versions. Um, so – for us, when we started exploring like ethical non-monogamy, we started with triads, which was um, him and I both dating the same person. Um, it's pretty rare. Typically, people who are couples that are looking to date start looking to date triads because it's um, it's a way of not giving up control, essentially. If you're both sharing the same person, then you're not afraid. There's a lot less fear. There's a lot less 
growth requirement. Um, but it's also super unhealthy sometimes. There, there are ways to do it where it's very healthy. And I've seen some really amazing triads. Like uh, my brother-in-law is actually in a triad and it is one of the best ones I've ever seen. They've been together for years and I really adore them for that. But when we started with our triad, it was definitely not us like, oh, if we both meet the same person and fall in love, then amazing. It was we have to control what my partner is allowed to do or isn't allowed to do. And so I want us to date the same person. So I have that control. And it was mm. just, yeah, not a healthy way to do it. I've also heard of um, people exploring different. Um, so a, a triad is also called a thruple. And then there's quadruples, I think is how it's pronounced. And that's couples that only date other couples. So it would be four people instead of three. Okay. Wow. That's a lot of people. (laughs) It is. Lots of love. (laughs) Yeah. And there's some really amazing examples of very healthy versions of that. And then there's total train wrecks as well. But that's just dating Mm -hmm. in life. That's not poly specific. Yeah. I was going to say that happens in uh, monogamous relationships as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you touched on it a bit. Um, But what would you say some of the biggest challenges were when you were first transitioning? You said that you really struggled with sharing. Do we want to dive into jealousy? Because I have some questions around jealousy I'd like to ask. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's everyone's biggest thing is like, how do you deal (laughs) with jealousy? How did you like, because everyone just assumes when you start, your biggest issue is going to be jealousy. And to be honest, it's, it's a pretty fair assessment. Um, it isn't necessarily for everyone. I know a couple of people who just don't feel jealousy or jealousy is just a non-issue for them. Um, my partner struggles with jealousy, uh, only exclusively when I'm dating men. Um, whereas when I was dating females, jealousy wasn't an issue for him. So he didn't have to struggle with that when we started exploring poly because he didn't feel jealousy in that way. And then when I started, like when we fully opened up a relationship to poly that involved me being able to date men and then he suddenly had to deal with jealousy for the first time whereas I had six years of experience <laughs> so well I was just gonna ask like how do you deal with jealousy or how did you deal with jealousy and overcome that um when you first began opening up your relationship mm. it was really hard um I think in the beginning I just didn't avoid it I think that was why we tried everything so casually was I I just didn't experience it because I had so much control that it was easy for me to give it up and be like, oh, I don't have to feel jealous because I have all the power here. I didn't Mm -hmm. really have to learn to fix jealousy until I chose to give up my veto power, because once you give up control, then you have to prepare for jealousy. Um, And so, yeah, for me, jealousy was really hard in the beginning, um, especially because my concerns were just being replaced, like really, really heavily afraid of being replaceable and unwanted or a burden to my current partner. Um, and so it was it was really hard. Um, and the, the biggest thing was just having an amazing partner who supported me through it. Like the, the best solution for jealousy is honestly communication. Uh, I was able to constantly for honestly weeks approach them and be like these are the fears that I'm imagining in my head these are the different scenarios I'm afraid of and as I would play them out and explain what those fears were he would just talk me through them of like well in that scenario I would still love you and in that scenario well this is how I would handle things but I would still love you and it was just that constant reassurance and it wasn't until we kind of hit a certain wavelength 
where I really had to learn to allow that love to hit my heart. And once I accepted that love and that like truly chose to believe him, then jealousy just didn't hurt the same way anymore. It became like a fleeting emotion instead of a constant overwhelming fear. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. And like, I think that can be, um, I think anyone can can take something away from what you just said, no matter what relationship form they're in, or even if they're not in a relationship, just jealousy in general. Um, that was that was very interesting. Do you think that jealousy could be viewed as a positive thing? Absolutely. I think yeah, jealousy is is in, this is something I hear a lot in poly, but jealousy is just kind of a flag to pay attention to. Um. Mm. When I when we originally had come out of this really horrible dumpster fire level triad, I had a lot of issues with jealousy because of all the bad experiences we had just gone through. And all of those experiences were very toxic. There was a lot of issues with gaslighting and different forms of abuse. Um, and so when I had experienced jealousy in that relationship, um, all that jealousy was just warning flags. All of all of that was my body and my heart letting me know that there was something wrong and something not healthy here and to just pay attention to them. But jealousy can also be super beautiful. Like with my current partner and his other partner, sometimes I do feel jealous. Like um, the other day they took our son to the zoo together and got a family photo done. And I'm totally on board and really happy for them to be building a family together. And I'm glad that my son gets to experience that. And I'm so happy that they get all of that love. But of course, at the same time, I was stuck at work seeing them have this amazing time. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I was there. I feel so jealous. But that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. All that does is tell me like, oh, I should remember to make time to get a family photo done. And I should remember to make time to go do something nice with my family because those things replenish me. But it's a fleeting feeling that I just take as like a flag to pay attention to and be like, oh, what am I thinking about? Why do I feel jealous? And how do I take those things that I feel like I'm missing and build it into my own life instead of feeling like, oh, I need to control this within their life? Because I just as equally could have handled that in a toxic way where I was like, I can't believe they did a family photo without me. How dare they? I should have been there. If I wasn't there, then we're not really a family because I need to be present for all these things. Right? Yeah. Like jealousy is honestly a choice. If you have to adjust your attitude and choose to process it in healthy ways. So the healthy way of looking at it is to be like, what do I pay attention from these things that I feel like I'm missing that, you know, because when you're feeling jealous, it's usually because you want control or you feel like you're missing something or a combination of the two. So what do I feel like I need to control or what do I feel like I'm missing and how do I handle both of those things in a healthy way? Hmm. That's interesting. And again, like it's applicable for things outside of relationships, even maybe say in like a career or someone's, um, like wealth or lifestyle we can see even via social media things on online and we can get jealous of those things and as you said I like the idea of using it as like a guideline or a red flag of like okay well what what is this jealousy actually saying and like exploring it and diving deeper to find its roots of kind of where where that feeling and emotion are coming from so yeah absolutely one of the best things about being poly is you have to really learn to pay attention to yourself. And that's mm. something people don't always do. Um, it's, a, it's a level of like um, internal emotional intelligence. And it's very hard to develop. But once you do, 
you have so much more options available to you because you can take the things that you're feeling and figure out solutions for them instead of residing in your feelings. Hmm. Interesting. I keep saying that, but <laughs> it's just, it's a really, it's a really cool conversation. Yeah. And even another thing I find about Polly, this is kind of, um, off topic but just a level of communication that you guys must have to have in in your relationship with all partners and all individuals involved that's Mm -hmm. something that I really respect and really admire and I think again anyone can take something away from that because the honesty that you guys must have to have would be very insane and the vulnerability (laughs) like (laughs) yeah it's a lot it can be really really hard Uh, It's definitely something I suggest people work on before exploring poly if they want to avoid the dumpster fires. Um, (laughs) But at the end of the day, everyone starts at their own pace. Um, Mm -hmm. It's super important to learn, yes, both how to communicate, but also learn how to be self-aware so that you know what to communicate. I think a big Mm -hmm. mistake I made in the beginning was I communicated absolutely everything because I had a really hard time self-regulating. And so it was really hard for my partner because they always felt like I was presenting them with every emotion and every experience I had and just handing them to them in this giant pile and being like, untangle this for me and give me a solution. Whereas instead I had to learn to like untangle myself and be like, okay, these are all the things I'm feeling. Now, how do I communicate this to my partner so that they can facilitate my needs so that I can facilitate their needs and so that we are both improving our relationship? Hmm. So and yeah. was there was there certain things that you did to self-regulate or like resources you discovered to help you with that? I think the biggest thing was I joined different poly communities online and really started mm-hmm. to develop just friends with other people so that I could get an idea of what already established healthy relationships looked like so that I could get ideas of which areas I needed to grow in. And I just really listened to my partner. He was so, so wise and so mature. And he does a really great job of being honest about like where his needs are and stuff. And because he was able to be like, whoa, you're overloading me. You need to take care of some of this yourself. Those healthy boundaries really allowed me to grow up even when I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing with like Polly is, yes, definitely learn to communicate. But I think boundaries are more important. And I did definitely do a lot of reading and research. Yeah. So when we started really focusing on our growth, uh, which was before we really started exploring Polly specifically, my my partner and I um, really worked hard on developing our growth. And then that allowed us to really jumpstart into Polly. But I've seen people who do it the other way around, who start poly and then go, oh, my goodness, I have a lot of growing to do. Where do I find resources to grow? So the ones I recommend are the ones that I've gone through myself. Um, The number two, like the highest two that are recommended um, are often more than two, which is a book written by poly people. They have a lot of education and doctorates and et cetera. And then The Ethical Slut. The ones that I personally found were the most important were actually, I read Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's very religious, but I was kind of able to wade through that and take the principles from it. Um, So, and then I read a lot of uh, Brene Brown. She's fantastic. She does a really good job talking about um, just developing your emotions, developing your boundaries, um, just tons on that. Um, And then my absolute favorite, which really honestly made the most difference, is a really odd book that you wouldn't think applies to Polly, but it was 
really great for rebuilding trust and for just understanding how relationships work and how to really support each other. So it's called Creating an Affair-Proof Marriage, which does not sound like it's a poly book, and it is not at all. <laughs> but it was it was really great for like realizing what I wanted, what he wanted, and how we could facilitate each other's needs while also like fulfilling our relationship. Because there were some things where we didn't agree with the book and we could be like, oh, well, we don't necessarily agree that you have to be exclusive, but we do believe that you have to be ethical, that communication, that making sure that we agree to things before we pursue them um, are so important. And honestly, I found like it made a huge difference. So I recommend that to monogamous friends I have. I recommend that one to people that I know that are poly. I just think it's an amazing resource. And then a really a big one would be the five love languages so that you can learn to facilitate each other's um, like how you process love. Um, but yeah, the other book that I would recommend would be His Needs, Her Needs, because it does a really great job about talking about how uh, men appreciate respect and respect is so important to them, whereas women tend to process love the same way that men process respect. Um, mm. So yeah, those are some great resources. Some of them are really religious. Some of them are very not religious. Um, but <laughs> honestly, yeah, there's just a lot of reading, a lot of work on self-growth that had a huge effect on, you know, our poly journey. Great. I love, I love resources and books are my favorite source of um, knowledge. The last one you said that his needs and her needs, I, I definitely, that one really sparked something in me. I'm really, I'm, I'm assuming it might go down this journey, but I'm, I'm really fascinated with um, masculinity as well. Like as I navigate my own journey with feminism, I'm realizing the importance of masculinity and how at the end of the day, I think they're searching for the same thing. And so um, with that, I'm really fascinated by like the energies, like the masculine and the divine feminine within all of us. And so that kind of seems like it's in that realm. Is that correct? Or no, am I way off? No, it's it's a good start in that. I don't mm -hmm. think there's enough resources in that at all. Um, mm -hmm. I honestly, I see my partner as like a fantastic example of the divine masculine because he is the mm -hmm. most supportive, most like helpful when it comes to dealing with emotions and communication but he has such great boundaries and is such a fantastic example of a healthy masculine person like he's strong he's confident he's independent but he's also emotionally available and stable and vulnerable and willing to communicate there's it's so hard to really find good resources on that and I wish there were mm -hmm. more of them well, if anyone needs resources, that's listening. Episode 25. <laughs> I'm going to plug that in there. Um, anywho, we'll digress. No, absolutely. So during our conversation, you've mentioned that you have a son. Mm -hmm. um, so how does your son play a role in your polyamorous lifestyle? Um, you said that he, he hangs out with your partner's partner. So can you touch on how that that conversation with him and how that dynamic works? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was definitely something my partner and I had a lot of talks on when we were just dabbling with Polly. We kept it pretty off the, yeah, kind of behind closed doors. We weren't very affectionate in front of him. We just kind of were like, oh, this is mom and dad's friend. Um, and then when we decided that we wanted to pursue Polly, we decided for ourselves that what our version of Polly for us was that if we 
have another partner, we wanted them to have as equal rights as our current partners. So we didn't want to be in a hierarchy. And that's not what everyone necessarily wants, but it was what we wanted. Um, and so when we decided that that was the case, we just felt like the only way to do that ethically was to make sure that our kids were aware of it. Um, and so we just approached our son and said, hey, just so you know, mom and dad are both going to be dating. We're both going to be looking at establishing different relationships. We wanted you to know that this is something we're both on board with. And as long as we were really like upfront, very communicative with him about it, honestly, he did so great and he had no concerns. Whereas I heard of other parents who kind of keep it a secret and then their kids feel so betrayed. Like they feel like there's something shameful and something that they were lied to about, or they feel like one parent's broken the other parent's trust. So they have to pick sides and it can just do a lot of harm. Um, so we just worked really hard to make sure that he knew it was something we were both on board with. So like the first time my partner had his partner sleep over, they slept in a different room and my son like went downstairs to see his dad and came up and was like, oh, do you know someone else is with dad? And I was like, of course I do. I'm so excited. We're all having breakfast together. Because at the end of the day, your kids model your behavior. And as long as you show them that this is a good thing, then they're like, oh, this is a great thing. And so um, my son is raised where we all feel each other are equal. So he's being raised that he has two equal moms. We don't want him to pick favorites in the times that he's communicated with favoritism. We've always chosen to like take him aside, pull a step back and be like, hey, just remember, we don't do favorites in our household. Everyone's equal. Um, like, yes, your heart might have people that you feel slightly closer to right now, but just remember, we don't communicate with favoritism. Um, and we just, we work really hard to make sure that he's aware that we expect everyone to be equal and that it's very ethical. And he's been so in love with the poly journey. He has wanted siblings since he was two years old and he has asked every week for siblings. So when he got to meet his new poly siblings, because my partner's other partner has two kids around his age. He just was totally excited and they have been in love with each other as brothers and sisters. Um, they're super close and it's just honestly the most beautiful family. It's brought me to tears quite a few times of just being so happy for him to feel like this need that he's always felt was finally met. Um, mm -hmm. We're all really excited to be welcoming a couple new babies into this world. And um, because of that, it's, it's really cool that he's seeing that we really don't have favoritism, that his parents are all equal, that, you know, we parent in such a style that his other mom, even though she's not biologi biological, still has as much authority as I do so that he can't do that, you know, back and forth. Oh, well, my other mom said this. It doesn't matter. Whoever is the parent is the parent. And it's, it's really important to keep your family healthy by displaying the behavior that you want to see in your children. Hmm. Thank you for shedding light onto that because children has been something that when I've been telling other people I'm having a conversation around polyamory and I begin um, talking to people in my current life about it, the main – one of the biggest things is like, well, what about kids? What if people have kids? Um, mm. Just I'm just curious. Are you able to tell me how old your son is? Um, my son's seven and okay. then his, his siblings are eight and nine. And okay. then we have – within our group, we have a baby due in February and a baby due in May. So – we have, yeah, have a pretty large family developing and we're really happy about it. Um, honestly, I think the biggest thing for the kids is to just be aware that they have a choice um, and to just really help them feel equipped. So 
when we told him that we were exploring this, we told him that we had the like the options to develop things into like a secondary mom, but we didn't make it mandatory. We've always just presented our kids with as much love as possible and allowed them to accept whatever they wanted to accept and hold at arm's length whatever they want to hold at arm's length. Um, so a really great example of that is I actually started dating someone at the same time as my partner dated his current partner. And we told them at that point in time that they were allowed to refer to um, our, like, my meta, which is a partner's partner, my meta as a mom, if they wanted to, they could refer to their now siblings as siblings if they wanted to, but we wanted them to regulate those needs themselves and that we were just going to give them as much love as possible. And however they wanted that to feel was up to them. And so it was really cool, even though my son's only seven, he had so much ownership over that and it was great to allow him to have control in that. And so he very quickly decided that his other mom was going to be his mom. And he just didn't feel that bond with my other partner at that point in time. And it was so cool that he could really sense the like the strength and the depth of the relationship that I was in and just realize that it wasn't at the same level that a parent should be in. So when that relationship ended, it was a really easy transmission for him to be like, okay, but they weren't my dad. Like he didn't see that partner as an equal to his father because they just weren't because they hadn't earned that trust and they hadn't built that dynamic. Whereas his other mom earned that trust and really put a lot of effort into building that dynamic and the strength of that relationship between my partner and his partner was so strong and so convicted at an early point where they were able to really work through all those trials quickly that it was very easy for even a seven-year-old to be like, oh, this isn't, this is my dad's other partner. This is a permanent person. Whereas he could look at the person I was dating. And even though the length of the relationship was the same time, he was able to perceive at only seven years old, that that relationship wasn't as serious. It was more casual. It wasn't as easygoing. There was more issues. And he was able to just be like, oh, well, this person's maybe not as permanent. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, kids are really smart and they can definitely sense things that we don't give them credit for. And I think giving children control and just making sure you're communicating things honestly and letting them have the power to decide who they want in their life and who they don't really enables them to just be authentic and for them to accept love and for them to really self-regulate what their boundaries are too. Because at the end of the day, when you're raising kids, you're raising them to become healthy adults and healthy adults aren't told this is your mom. Now they decide to build a relationship with someone and see them as a parent, or they decide not to. And you telling them to or not would never change the outcome of that. Hmm. Very interesting. And I'm sure it also helps them to navigate like their own identity and like their own beliefs and values, which would you, which you've touched on. Um, yeah, absolutely. What, what yeah, I was actually just reading an article from a parenting magazine that actually um, basically says that um, children raised in poly lifestyles actually tend to be more emotionally stable, and more independent because they're able to self-regulate more because they're raised in homes where that's in- enabled so well. Ooh. And also, too, it's like I think of like your raise – it takes a village to raise a child, you know? Mm-hmm. And so – Unfortunately, in some homes, they only have one adult figure in their life, whereas in a poly family, they'll have multiple adult figures too. And and as you said, kind of along with poly is like, you guys believe that um, one person can't fulfill all of your needs. And so that could be the same for a child is not one adult can fulfill all of a child's needs. 
Yeah, absolutely. The article that I was um, referring is actually by Today's Parent. And um, it actually talks about that, about like kids have different interests and it's really great for them to learn that they can go to different people for different interests and they have different emotional needs. And some people, you know, have stronger abilities in one area, not another. So kids can learn that they can be selective of who they turn to and what they turn to someone for. Um, so again, yeah, I would really recommend that like anyone who's worried about kids in poly to not be worried at all. Kids really flourish in poly. As long as it's done ethically and your kids feel like it's something they're included in and have a lot of freedom in, then yeah, they, it can be really good for them. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Another thing that people were asking me when I told them I was entering a conversation with you about polyamory was what happens if your partner is with someone that you do not like? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think a big part of that is figuring out what your boundaries are around your meta before your partner engages in a relationship with someone. Um, So there are people who have different types of poly. So one version of poly would be solo poly, um, or there's parallel poly, or there's um, kitchen table poly, which is what we practice. Um, And so if you know those boundaries in advance, it's so much healthier to go into those relationships. Um, and so for myself, I want to be friends with the person that my partner's with because I need to feel like I can trust that person. Um, that's, that's hugely important to me. But there are other people who don't want to know their partner, their partner's partner at all. They literally don't want to know they exist. They don't want conversation with them or anything. Um, So in any new poly relationship, when you get into that relationship, it's so important to clarify what your boundaries are. Um, And so in a relationship I was in, it was really great. I was able to approach them and be like, I know that your partner, um, so my meta, doesn't want to know me. But for me, I don't feel like this is ethical until I've met them face to face and made sure that they knew that I existed and that you and I are pursuing a relationship. So if you want to be in a relationship with me, you need to be able to facilitate that or we won't be in a relationship. Um, so I've been in relationships where I had very little contact with the other person. And I've been in relationships where this, my partner's partner is my absolute best friend in the whole world. Um, and it's, it's so important to approach that in advance to developing the relationship. Because after the fact, that's when things turn into those dumpster fires. Um, so for myself, in my previous relationship in a triad, I actually, um, disengaged from the triad while my partner still dated that same person, but because there was no trust there and it was just so toxic, the whole relationship disintegrated. Um, because for me, it's super important that I'm able to know and trust the person my partner's with. And without that, I don't want myself to be in that relationship. And him being in a relationship that didn't facilitate my needs and this would be a need for myself would start damaging our relationship. So my partner isn't controlled by my needs, but they do choose to facilitate my needs as a priority when they're exploring Polly. So it was really important for him when he got with his current partner that he reached out to her and said, hi, it's super important to me that you get to know my wife, I would like for you to be friends. If that doesn't happen, that's fine. But I need you guys to work at building trust so that you guys can get along. 
And so the first several months of her and I getting to know each other, it was constantly like two cats sniffing each other from across the room. When we were like, <laughs> it was so funny. We would be like, hi, I'm going to go my own way. You go your own way. And we would be in the same house together for like a day or two, sometimes like three days straight. I would only see each other for like five, 10 minutes because we both wanted to like the other person. We would both hear these great stories about them from my partner, but we just hadn't figured out how to be friends yet. And so it took us a while, but that's the thing about really great friendships and dynamics between metas is if you allow it to happen organically, they can be amazing. And they like the relationship that I have with my current meta is honestly, like I would consider her almost a partner. She's so important to me. She's a huge part of my life. Facilitating her needs is equally as important as facilitating my partner's needs. And they're very important to me. But I've also been in relationships where I only met my meta once. We didn't have a relationship. We didn't communicate. I tried to get to know them more and they didn't want a relationship with me. So I was like, that's fine. If you trust your partner with me, I don't have to do the back and forth. So honestly, as long as you can approach that in advance and know what you want and what that looks like for you, then it's perfectly fine to just accept whatever works for everyone already involved. For myself, it made me uncomfortable having a meta who didn't want to have a relationship with me and I did want to build more, but it wasn't a deal breaker within that relationship. So at the end of the day, it helped me learn myself more and it helped me learn to be engaged in that relationship and respect their existing needs. But it's not mandatory. And there's a lot of people who practice poly that don't even know their meta, who've never met with them or communicated with them. They just simply trust that their partner is doing things ethically. Mm. This is kind of a random question and and maybe this is like too specific to like a heterosexual dynamic I grew up I feel as though in in a world where I would view other females as competition and Mm -hmm. so with Polly and this having another female dynamic like and you were saying when you're talking about the two cats in a room that's kind Mm -hmm. of what I thought about like how would you did you ever feel this sort of competition amongst females? And then like, did how were you able to work through that? Or was that something that never really resonated with you? Honestly, I think it really depends on the people involved. Um, the okay. really bad relationship, the like super toxic one I was in, that partner made it very clear that she wanted my partner to prioritize her over me and everything became a competition. And she worked really hard to create scenarios where he had to choose between us. And that really Mm -hmm. fostered an unhealthy dynamic. Whereas my priority was always facilitating his needs and their relationship. Um, And so I definitely have seen scenarios where that's happened and women view each other as competition, Um, whether that's in like a cis relationship that's poly or an LGBT relationship that's poly at the end of the day, competition is whoever you view it to be and if you're viewing yourself as in a competition in poly you're probably not doing it right Mm. when you're poly your priority is to facilitate your needs yourself to ask your partner to facilitate your needs and to uphold your internal and external boundaries and so if you're viewing something as a competition or your your meta is creating competitions or viewing you as a competition, then that's something you need to work on because it's definitely not healthy. Um, A big part of the communication my meta and I had when we really started to establish a relationship between ourselves and build a friendship 
was we just reassured each other constantly that we didn't want that. We like I we have so many times where we've spoken about being like, I don't want to replace you. I don't want to take anything away from you. I don't want it to be a competition. I don't want my partner to ever be in a position where they have to choose between the two of us. I want to do whatever I can to facilitate your relationship so that it flourishes. And we've always approached absolutely everything with that mindset when it comes to little things like who's hanging out with them on Wednesday when they suddenly got the day off and they now have an extra day. It's, well, how do we facilitate your relationship as much as possible? And that way we try to keep things as equal as possible. Whereas there's definitely times where people have that unhealthy mindset of your competition. And honestly, that's a big red flag I'd watch out for. If I was engaging in a new relationship with someone and their partner treated me like I was competition, I probably wouldn't be in a relationship. I would probably end things because of that. Hmm. Interesting. And I know that was a really like specific situational question. Um, but it's just something I've kind of been like exploring myself in my life. Like just in like female to female dynamics in like any any sense of the way. Like even like at the gym, for example. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. And like I know it's something and it's like I'm basically admitting that I'm like an internal bitch or something. I don't know. <laughs> no not at all like that that I that I view these other females as as competition it's like we should all uplift each other and whether male female non-binary but it's just I don't know I just feel like society is is that way sometimes in our world I think we are used to relationships that are based in competition and I I think we're raised in a society where that's expected of like you have to be judgmental to feel like you've achieved things. And honestly, I think that's something that people who engage in poly really struggle with because you have to let that go. And it's Mm -hmm. amazing how many people, like you can see that difference when you're connecting with someone and they're also in the poly dynamic. You can tell when they're really focused on competition or when they're really just focused on being happy because people who really want to be happy want everyone else to be happy too. They want to uplift the world and encourage everyone. And people who want to feel like their happiness is superior to anyone else's and like they have to be doing the best, they tend to struggle with competition a little bit more. And sometimes competition can be a great thing because it's a good motivator. But sometimes you have to just take a step back and be like, what's my end goal here? Because if your end goal is to be better than everyone else, then maybe you need to work on that. But if your end goal is to facilitate your happiness and your partner's happiness, and you know that the best way to get there is by facilitating their other relationship and doing your best to support it, then you're going to not want it to be a competition at all. Because I know that if I was to compete with my meta, all it would do is hurt my partner. And I don't want to hurt them. That would just be disappointing. And in situations where I have another partner, he wouldn't want to hurt me by damaging that relationship either. So it's really about taking that step back and being like, how do my actions have consequences? And what do I want the outcome of these actions to result in? Hmm. Fire. So yeah. (laughs) At the gym, it's it's one thing to look at a girl at the gym and be like, oh my goodness, she's freaking rocking it. You bet your butt I want to compete with her. Because at the end of the day, you're like, if she wins, she wins, but I look hotter. But it's, it's another thing entirely to look at it and be like, oh, I really hope she fails because I want to look more impressive to my partner. Well, no, you shouldn't. Yeah. You want your partner to be happy. And that means he loves you both as much as he can love both of you, not one more than the other. That is, that is good to process. 
I have another question for you. If there are individuals listening to this conversation and are wanting to begin practicing polyamory or maybe have just started their journey into polyamory, what advice would you give them? That's a really good question. Um, So in the past, I've actually had people approach me and ask this question. Um, And so the biggest thing I would say is if this is something you're not sure about, take time to be sure. I've know people who have just like approached their partner and been like, I'm really curious about, so I'm, you know, go explore this. And then they do a lot of damage in their relationship because they didn't prioritize their partner Mm. and their established relationship. They just jumped in because it was like, Ooh, shiny penny, let's go. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if you're really serious and you think that your needs can't permanently be met within the confines of a monogamous relationship, then don't jump into another relationship. Take some time to figure out how you can facilitate and build and keep your current relationship strong and established while also exploring poly. There's so many resources, so many hard talks that you should have, and the healthiest poly people I know who really hit the ground running and did a fantastic job took the time to take a couple months and figure out how to do poly within their established relationship in a healthy way. The ones that seem to really crash and burn just jump right in and don't take the time to slow down. So that process of slowing down, reading, looking up, research, figuring out yourself, your needs, your wants, figuring out the boundaries within your partner's relationship and and what they would look for with you or outside of your relationship, all of those things are really hard conversations you should have in advance of pursuing poly. Um, I know that's something I definitely did a lot of myself, and I really, really am glad that I did. And then when you do start pursuing poly, when you're new, have a lot of conversations to check in on that. Be like, hey, I know before we started pursuing Polly, you had said that you wouldn't be comfortable with me doing X, Y, Z, but I'm kind of thinking about doing X, Y, Z. Can we have a conversation about how you would be willing to facilitate that or what compromises we can make so that we are able to do that? There's being poly is such a growth curve and there's so many different changes and versions of it that the best thing you can do is just communicate a lot. All that communication just enables you to explore more, to be healthier and happier. And if you jump in with no regard for your established relationship, you're going to have every area of your life crash and burn all at once. But if you slow things down and you really prioritize what you already have, you can build something really beautiful. And at the end of the day, if you feel like you're poly and in a monogamous relationship, then you need to decide if that's something you're okay with. If you approach your partner and say, wow, I feel like I might be poly and I want to explore more, and they know for a fact that they're monogamous and monogamous is a 100% non-negotiable hard limit boundary for them, then you need to take time to decide, are you willing to choose to stay monogamous for the rest of your life? Or do you want to choose to let this relationship go and start pursuing poly outside of that relationship? It's hard and I've seen it happen and some people choose to stay monogamous and some people choose to leave their monogamous relationships and be poly. And both of those are perfectly acceptable because you need to do and prioritize whatever is best for you at the end of the day. That's beautiful. If you could give one piece of relationship advice to individuals regardless of their relationship dynamic, what would it be? I think the biggest thing in relationships in general is learning to identify your needs, wants, and boundaries. Um, Whether you're poly, whether you're monogamous, whether you're single, if you don't really have that sense of self, sense of awareness, and really a clear idea of things, you're just going to stumble through every relationship and make a lot of mistakes. And it's not until you 
really reflect on what you need, what you want, and you learn from your bad experiences and grow into good ones, that you're really going to be able to flourish. If you have a bad attitude, then you need to take a step back and be like, why do I have a bad attitude and how do I build a better one? What do I need in myself to have a better attitude? If you have really poor boundaries and everyone walks all over you, you need to be like, why do I have poor boundaries? How do I fix that so that I feel happier? Because I need to be happy. And if you can really learn those things about yourself in any dynamic, it makes a big difference on how happy you are and what your life looks like long term. I hope that answers your question. It's a really hard question. Totally. Oh, I know it is. I love asking the hard questions. (laughs) So then my final question as we close up here would be, what do you hope that people take away from us having this conversation around polyamory? Truthfully, I think the biggest reason I agreed to this and and why I think it's important for poly people to start speaking out more is so that it becomes accepted by society. It's such a valid form of love. It's such a beautiful thing. And there's so much scandal associated with it where it's treated Mm -hmm. as something to be shameful. And at the end of the day, what I want is for people to realize that this is beautiful. It's healthy. The people who are poly typically are some of the most amazing people you were ever, ever, ever meet. And it's it's a really valid form of expressing and making a life choice to commit to other people. People who are poly can be just as committed, just as healthy, just as loved. And I would really like to see a a world where it doesn't affect my job and it doesn't affect my son at school and it doesn't affect different areas because society's just learned to accept that poly is just the same as monogamy. It's just different. Essentially, it's just that I want people to see that poly is just as valid as monogamy. It's just a different choice, but that doesn't make it less ethical and it doesn't make it like a poor choice or something shameful. It's just different. And it's just as worthy of love and respect. Lindsay, I want to thank you so much for having this conversation with me and also just being so vulnerable and open and allowing me to ask you very personal questions. Um, I took a lot away from this conversation and I, I really hope that my listeners do too. And maybe see polyamory from a different perspective if they had a specific one coming into it or maybe just feel more affirmed into the way that they currently are living their life so thank you so much Lindsay. yeah absolutely in the closing of this episode i thought i would share a quote from one of my favorite relationship books by colin wright titled some thoughts about relationships the outro goes as follows whatever your priorities whoever you are And whichever people you're fortunate enough to bring into your life, for a time or for forever, remember that healthy relationships start with you. They start with your own level of self-confidence, your individual ability to be present and committed to growth, and your personal dedication to be a net positive for the world. To be someone who adds to the lives of others rather than sapping them of joy and momentum. Your most intimate relationship is, and always should be, with yourself. Acknowledge and maintain that foundation then reach out to the world and help others do the same. Ensure that your sense of me is mighty so that your sense of we can follow suit. I would like to take a moment to say thank you to Lindsay once again for opening up and sharing with me today. Through your vulnerability, you have helped all of us to grow. If you would like to further this conversation and get in touch, visit my Instagram at the Curious One Podcast. 
For more information, resources, and show notes, please head to thecuriousonepodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be well.